Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. At the moment, it's pretty easy to quit a bad job and find a better one. There is a ton of advice out there about how to leave a job and start a new one, but there isn't as much out there about how to handle a job that is uncomfortable, but there isn't as much out there about how to handle a job that is comfortable, but not really a good long-term choice. This might occur, for instance, when you're in a place where you really can't be promoted or where you've kind of reached your salary cap. It can also happen when you want to drastically change what you are doing on a day-to-day basis. This can be challenging to make that leap from a job that is just okay to one that really excites you and makes you happy. In this episode, we're going to talk about some of the things that you should be doing if you anticipate leaving your job within the next six months to a year. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? I am still buried in the database. Um, we, we've got some stuff that we're doing that's really stored procedure heavy. And yeah, you know, I built the stored procedures out for the API layer. And then it's like, okay, you know, the guy can use them. You know, I actually had to write the API layer and a service layer on top of that for him to use. And now I've got to go back and secure all these stored procs that I've written for different stuff that he's doing so I can lock it down. And so I I dumped out a list and I was like, okay, here's all the stuff I got to do. And I have 104 stored procedures that I have to add security (laughs) stuff in. And it's just mind numbing. Mm -hmm. And I did this to myself. And that's my life now, apparently. So that's that's what I'm doing this week is... um, Really being mildly angry at past Will because past Will has really wrecked future Will's day. So Mm -hmm. how about you? Well, that excitement about going to production from last week lasted about two days. Nothing's wrong with the code, but there's a lot of issues found with the data migration into production. I think a couple of weeks back, you mentioned that the biggest problem you see in production is data migrations. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in more exciting news, I'm going to New York, y'all. I announced it last week. I will be speaking at Codeland Conference, um, put on by our friends over at CodeNewbie. That's really awesome. I I applied the first year. I didn't last year because I had other things going on at the time. Um, And so I applied again this year, and they accepted my talk. The conference is in July. Uh, I believe tickets are on sale now. I think you could get an early bird ticket. Uh, It's really cool. It's a bit of a different process as they're rather selective about who they have. And you have to go through a process not only to get in, but as part of your presentation. It was like two or three different phone calls I've had to have. Um, I've already had the first one with Saran. Um, We've got a couple more scheduled to review my presentation and then run through it a few times. So this is very different. Other conferences, once you're selected, they send you a couple of things and maybe if they need some information from you, but that's all you hear from them and you just show up and do your thing. Honestly, I kind of like this approach. I get to have feedback in enough time to make adjustments. So I'm really pumped about it. I'm so excited to be a part of this. Now on to Book OTs. You know, if this really takes off, I gotta rename that. Yeah. So the thing I really like about the Pragmatic Programmer is the way it's organized. It's designed to be read in short segments to help deal with a specific topic or problem. A lot of us like to skip right to the meat of a book, especially a technical book, but I really encourage you to read the preface of this one. There's a lot of insights into how to best apply the knowledge contained within the book. Uh, My favorite part is where they talk about 
what makes a pragmatic programmer and they, they break it down. This leads really well into the first chapter, which is the philosophy of the pragmatic programmer. And the second chapter gets into the approach that a pragmatic programmer takes. Now, while each section is self-contained and can be read in almost any order, I really do suggest that you start your journey into this book with the preface and the first couple of chapters. That'll sort of set you up with the right mindset for reading the rest of the book. Who's talking to us this week? We got an iTunes review from LJ Heller uh, saying, my number one development podcast. BJ and Will are the perfect mixture of know-how and theory for aspiring and established developers. It's the perfect podcast to get me fired up in the morning while commuting to work. Thanks, LJ. We really appreciate that. Uh, It encourages us to know that we're being helpful and we're being useful. Funny side note. I took the uh, Enneagram and uh, I am uh, two, three or three, two, sort of apparently depending on the day I take it. They're so close is what it said. But the two is the helper. And so for me, knowing that I'm being helpful um, and the other one is the the achiever. So knowing that I've I've helped someone like I've achieved my goal of helping someone like you just fulfilled my needs. Thank you. <laughs> Um, nice. I, when you when you're like, I, I just took an enneagram. I'm like, that's a that's a thing. I, I yeah, got. It's, I was like, it, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so it it threw me off because you know normally you hear about um, the personality types with the Myers Briggs and stuff, and people have started putting a number at the end of them. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine at church the other day, and she was telling me about it, and she's a um, uh, four five five four range. So kind of like uh, introverted and artistic and studious, um, which makes sense why she's my friend. I tend to gravitate towards those types of people. Uh, And so, but uh, when she was talking about that, I'm like, you know, I've never taken that all my years in psychology, like that got popular kind of after I got out of it. So uh, I decided to go take it and it, yeah, that's what I, I learned. I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, LJ, thank you so much again. Send us an email with your contact information because we've got a Complete Developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer water bottle, leave us a review on iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. Check us out each week on Facebook and YouTube Live where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. Or you can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. It's easy to languish for years in a job that is merely good enough. The pay may be comfortable, the coworkers tolerable, and the work interesting enough to keep you engaged. But the job may not be something you want to do forever. When, not if, you find yourself in this position, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to simply quit your job and start looking for another one. Side note, I've done that before. doesn't work so well. Mm -hmm. Rather, you can often be in a much better situation in 6 to 12 months if you start taking action now to prepare yourself for something that is more suitable. Transitions between technical jobs happen for a variety of reasons. Two of the most common are higher pay or working with newer technology. However, those are not the only reasons you might want to start looking for a different job. For instance, you may find that your prospects of a higher salary or better position are out of reach in your current job. You may want to travel somewhere else or even work with different technology. I mean, people decide that they want to move you know, some other place all the time. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something that I've thought about is, you know, other than my mom being here, there's nothing really physically tying me down to Tennessee or even the United States for that matter. Yeah. And there's opportunities all over the place. If I didn't have such an awesome job that I loved doing, I would actually consider looking at things like that. The other thing that might happen is you might want to do something drastically different with your career. Uh, Like for instance, if you're working at a big company, you might want to go into startups or game development, Mm -hmm. or you might want to go the other way because you're in game development now and you're tired of working 90 hours a week and you know, you'd like to see that house that you're paying a mortgage on. 
you might be anticipating that you need different things from your job in the near future. Like if you're trying to start a family, you might want to transition from working in a startup environment to something a little bit more stable um, with benefits or something that is going to allow you to have time off for your family. Yeah. And to make it regular, that was the big thing I noticed was like, you know, you're taking your daughter to Baskin Robbins and you get a call while you're in line that the production system's down because we don't have monitoring software really checking stuff. And Mm -hmm. you just have to grab her and go and go to the office with your kid and fix it. That's a bummer. Um, And so a lot of people will, will switch or they'll go back to startups after, you know, family life is a little bit more stable. Yeah. When your kids get older, um, I could totally see that. That makes perfect sense. Basically, there's a lot of reasons that you might be planning to leave your current job in the next six to 12 months. What we're going to do here is talk about some of the things that you should be doing to make sure that that transition is as smooth as possible. First off, you need to be tweaking your resume. Yeah, you should be making resume updates months ahead of switching jobs. Uh, and you need to do this in a way that doesn't trigger anything on LinkedIn. And we actually had an episode talking about LinkedIn tweaks uh, with Amber Beam. And that was a while ago, I think. It was a couple of months back, but she she gave us some really great tips that Will and I have both applied to our LinkedIn accounts. Um, and go back and listen to that episode. Check out the the great material that she has because it'll help you out. But she also talks about making it so that those don't trigger things Um, or do it in such a way that, oh, I update this every three to six months or something. And so even if it does trigger things, people are like, yeah, but they do that all the time. No big deal. Well, the other thing too, is if you do it every three to six months, it's a lot easier to have the thing up to date if something ever does happen all of a sudden. Right. So what this reminds me of is we do um, individual performance plans, IPPs. And uh, yay, government acronyms. But uh, so I had to update mine today. Um, This morning, I I spent some time working on it. uh, And because every time I do something, I have a document that has all the the goals in it. And then uh, one of them is other learning. So anytime I go to a conference, anytime I do any type of training outside of work that relates to what I do at work, I track that. You know, one of them is in office trainings or, or like the, the trainings we have there. Anytime I do that, I write it down. So when I had got the email from my lead developer saying, Hey, I need you to go put in your comments, um, for this interim, I was like, All right, let me go find that document. Copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, just the new stuff. So much easier, so much better to have that already done. This is also a good time to get information from your current job about your successes. It's a lot easier to discreetly ask about numbers and things like that when people don't know that you're leaving. Yeah. And you shouldn't necessarily put these numbers directly on your resume. I mean, some people do. Uh, Just have them handy so that when you're interviewing, you can actually say, yeah, this serves 30,000 users or I saved the company $15,000 on this thing. and you know, or a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, you know, have those numbers handy instead of having to ask as you're walking out the door, because people aren't going to want to give you that information when they know you're leaving. Now, be careful while you do this to make sure that your current job doesn't notice, at least not until you're ready. You know, it's, it's really funny. A friend of ours once told me, he's like, you could walk through a crowd of people and nobody would even see you until you decide that you want to be seen. And that's kind of what you want here is like, you, you want to do this stuff and not be noticed either because you do it on a regular basis and they just, they say, Oh, there's activity on their LinkedIn profile. Well, yeah, there's always activity on their LinkedIn profile. Um, or you want to do it in such a discreet manner that it, it doesn't get picked up. Don't be on LinkedIn on your work computer, unless you do that on a normal basis. And don't be researching other companies at work either. Yeah, it's it's weird how often you'll see people do these things. And you know, somebody walks by their cube and they're like, dude, are you looking for another job? No. Well, why are you on LinkedIn today when I've never seen you on there before? 
Yeah. Okay. Sure. Now, the other thing you can do, um, you know, I will see, I have seen people do this where they are looking at companies in the same industry, kind of like they're doing market research mm-hmm. type stuff. And then you find out that, oh, they go to that other company later. It's, it's mainly you just want to keep your head down because what can happen when you're looking for another job is they can just decide to cut you loose. Like if they have a round of layoffs and you have gotten their attention, you're mm-hmm. one of the first ones to go. And that's not a good position to be in because you can't control it. Very, very true. Next, you need to network. This is something that Will and I have, well, I'm kind of natural at. He's gotten a lot better at. But we also facilitate this with with the group we run here. This is a good time to start reaching out to people about recommendations, especially if you need them. It's probably not a good time to ask for recommendations for coworkers. But it might be a good time to write one if it won't cause trouble. Yeah, you got to be a little careful about that, too, because management sometimes will go, why are you writing a recommendation for Steve? Because then somebody's going to hire Steve off and then we're we're up the creek. Uh, So if you think you're going to get that reaction, don't do it. But you can write it for other people. One of the things you could do is reach out to former coworkers and ask them for recommendations. Or you could write recommendations for former coworkers and if so this goes back to the the regularity thing if you write some recommendations for former coworkers and then you write some recommendations for your current coworkers if management says something you'd be like oh yeah yeah they asked me to write a recommendation for them i i started with them and i realized hey i should write some for the people i currently work with so i sh- it kind of got me in that flow and i just kept going with it yeah and just be like you know i want to be i want to show gratitude towards the people i work with Right, which is, by the way, entirely true, hopefully. Now, what I was kind of getting at at the beginning of this is you really got to be attending meetups and meeting new people. Will and I run a meetup with a, a event every month specifically for this. It's a networking event. It's called our social event where we, we invite people. We've had, we have had members meet their future bosses at events that we've had. Um, because that's that's what it's there. It's there for networking, meeting people, getting to know people, talking to them. It's a lot of fun. The thing is, and what we tell people at these is, don't start going when you need a job. Yeah, because people smell desperation. You know, <laughs> you need to start well before you need the job. Uh, it, it's really easy to network and be- even become friends with people when there's less at stake, uh, especially for introverts. I don't have a problem with this being the outgoing extrovert that I am, but most of my favorite people are introverts. Yeah. And this used to be an issue for me. I mean, I don't think it would be now, um, but you got to bear in mind four years of podcasting kind of burns certain things out of you. Uh, (laughs) So it's, it's a lot easier to do all this networking stuff just as a casual thing. And if you are looking for a job at, you know, six months or 12 months out. And if you're on these people's radar, a lot of times they'll approach you about the job instead of you having to approach them anyway. Another thing, don't limit yourself to just coding meetups. Even meetups for non-professional things can help here. Um, I've been invited to several hiking meetups because of all the stuff I post on social media about taking my dog hiking. Just the other day, I was out with a group and one of my good friends in that group is a financial advisor. And he was telling me about an opportunity. Um, He's like, Hey, you know, one of my friends, he, he owns this consulting business. He's looking for a .NET developer. He's like, he was reading um, a text from the guy. He's like, does this stuff make sense to you? .NET um, Azure, AWS, (laughs) AWS, <laughs> SQL, like, I'm like, yeah, I, I know all of those, those terms and use most of those. And so he was like, oh yeah, uh, my friend, he's looking, looking for someone, um, pays really good. Um, and it's like, well, I'm not currently looking, uh, I've got a really sweet deal where I'm at right now, but I do know people that are looking and so I can point them your way. Uh, yeah, and I mean, so. even meetups that are like, you know, D&D players or, you know, especially things that are kind of like nerd adjacent things. Mm-hmm. 
you'll get a lot of IT people in those. Or if you have a meetup that happens in a place where there's a lot of tech people. Like I work in Cool Springs, uh, which is basically Franklin, Tennessee, and it's the richest county in the state. And that's where a lot of the IT folks are. And one thing that's interesting is just if you go anywhere, like if you go to an Indian restaurant there and you just happen to be by yourself, everybody else in that restaurant is an IT person. So true. I um, One of the guys I go to church with works at a, a local coffee shop here in um, actually in Murfreesboro in the bigger town down the road. And uh, I had an appointment. And so I just took my laptop with me. And after my appointment, I'm like, man, I could drive 30 minutes to go back home or I could drive five minutes and go work the rest of the afternoon from a coffee shop. So I did that. And while I was sitting there, I'm like trying to put my headphones on and listen to some Lindsey Sterling while I do some coding there. And I keep hearing these these terms from these guys sitting over on the couches. I'm like, ah, I got to go say something to them. Like that outgoing extrovert in me cannot sit here and not say something. So I go over, I introduce myself, I talk to these guys. And what's hilarious is one of them knew Will and the other guy was just getting into programming and they were there sitting there. The guy getting into programming was being mentored by the guy that had been in it for about 20 years, actually a little bit longer um, than Will has. and just having a very similar conversation to some of the ones that Will and I had early in my days uh, in the, in the field. And it was hilarious because I was able to be like, Hey, you know, we've got a meetup that that could help you out. And so you never know where you're going to run into people. Yeah. And if you're going to meetups in an area that is full of tech people, there will be tech people at the meetups Mm -hmm. and it could be a, you know, you could literally have a meetup of knitting and there's probably five developers there. If you're in Franklin. Probably so. No. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all. The other thing is, um, focus on meeting people who work in places that you might enjoy. If you want to get into a new industry, you really need to be networking by attending conferences and meetups around that industry. Yeah, it's, it's weird in IT how frequently we stick to just our industry. And there's lots of other adjacent things that you could jump into. Uh, you know, there's marketing meetups, there's SEO meetups, there's, you know, various, you know, little industry groups that meet up all the time. And you could go there. You could also go to like a business council thing where it's just general business people and just mm -hmm. walk around and talk to people. I will tell you this, if you're a senior developer in Nashville, be really careful about going to business meetups and mentioning that you're a developer because you will get mobbed. It is very strange. Just like how bad the shortage is right now. You won't be able to get out of there. You'll be talking to 15 people before you can get out the door. Next, we're going to talk about changing your current job. What you really want to do is see if there's anything that you can learn in your current job that might help you where you're going. I mean, this might be anything from learning new skills to simply working on better projects that are more likely to show a monetary value in terms of their success. Uh, it, it's interesting. I've been working on a line of business application basically the whole time that I've been in the workforce uh, from one, one position to another. It's always been line of business applications, uh, but doing some side work and, Oh, Hey, we need you to spend a week or two working on this or that. Like, enterprise level service. That's where I'm, I'm really interested. Um, other than the data science stuff that I'm learning in school, that enterprise level, that, that service level stuff is what absolutely fascinates me. Things that all the applications talk to. So every opportunity I get to work on that, I always jump on it. I always say, yes, I have some that I'm working on in the background. They're like, all right, they haven't come up yet as ideas, but I'm on it already working on it so that when my architect comes to me and says, Hey, we need this. I can say, yeah, I've already been working on that and already been building that enterprise application. What hat has done is once I'm finished with getting this application I'm working on into production, I'm moving to the team that's working on those enterprise level applications. So by 
kind of taking the initiative and doing it on my own and taking every opportunity I had to do that, I've been able to move myself into that position. Another thing is, this is also a really good time to reevaluate whether you can make your current job better rather than leaving it. So, what I did was I said, this is what I want to do. I'm going to work towards that. And I have put myself into a position where I'm getting to do the very thing that I want to do. Yeah. And, you know, I've kind of done that with my job uh, as well, which is part of the reason I've stayed where I am. You know, I started out as just a senior developer and started pushing more into the architecture side of things and more of the uh, specs. And that has allowed me to eventually be a, a software architect because that's what I was doing was that stuff anyway. And it is really helpful to just go ahead and start kind of grabbing that kind of stuff if that's where you want to go. You want to try to start gathering information about the value you provide over the course of your time at the job. Yeah. And you really almost should be doing this the whole time anyway. Although once you, know, when you start a brand new job, they kind of get a little squirrely about it. Uh, you need to figure out like what kind of load a system is under, you know, um, what the value is of the things that you're doing. Like if the software is getting sold, what's it getting sold for? You know, what's the price point, that kind of stuff, because that is really, really important to know when you're determining how much value you're providing and you use that to show that you can provide that value to somebody else and, you know, get a higher pay rate, essentially. And lastly on this, try to set things up so that when you leave, you do so on a positive note. Like you want to leave friends with everyone there. You want to leave in such a way that they want you to come back, but they are, they understand why you're going. Um, just a quick story here. I, I have a coworker and I know I've talked about her a couple of times, but uh, she, uh, around the time that she got promoted, she was also exploring other opportunities and she got her dream job you know, like full remote, getting to do exactly what she wants to do. Just super awesome. And she took it and she left in such a way that if she came back, they'd hire her again. And, and like, as her coworkers, we would want her there. We'd be happy to have her back. But, you know, we all understood like, oh, hey, you, you're, you're leaving to pursue your dream. No one is going to look down on you. Um, no one worthwhile, I should say, is going to look down on you. Yeah, that. there's always going to be that one person, seems like, it, that just is like, oh, yeah. I can't believe you're not loyal. And, you know, you turned down a $40,000 a year pay raise. You know, I can't believe you wouldn't turn that down to stay here with us. It's like, okay, yeah. loser. Um, yeah. The thing is, if you have issues with coworkers, management, basically anyone, you really should be trying to fix the bad impressions that you made. Um, we have an episode coming up on fixing bad impressions. Uh, if you guys, when we ha get to that episode, you'll notice some of the other things that we've, we've had building up to it, starting to work on that episode. We realized, Hey, we need to set the groundwork in a few areas before we talk about this topic. And so we, we've been doing that. And so in a, in a few months, we're going to have an episode on that topic specifically. Also, if your work ethic, mode of dress or conduct has been kind of down and lacking, it's time to clean up your act. And yeah. I've talked about it a couple of times when I got passed over for promotion, it was because of my attitude. And I didn't realize that it had gone that far south. I was like, I was that grumpy, curmudgeonly like mid-level skill-wise developer, and I was a pain to be around. Um, yeah, I think the, the thing here is that, you know, if you show a marked improvement in your attitude and everything else, it makes leaving easier, right? Like you don't want to leave and have everybody go, thank goodness that guy's gone. You know, you want him to go, oh, that was kind of kind of a bummer. You know, he was he was doing pretty well, and they've kind of gotten over the previous stuff. That way, um, they won't be negative about you when it comes time for referrals later. Now, it's not that you're going to ask them for a reference you know, right now as you're trying to look for a new job, hopefully. Um, but what will happen is 
five, 10 years down the road, they'll give you a good mm-hmm. reference. Um, now, the next thing that you need to be working on is skill acquisition. So you should start working on additional skills outside of your current job if the other stuff is going to be needed at the new one, which hopefully there's going to be more stuff needed, right? Like it's not more of the same. Unless you're very lucky, you're probably not using bleeding edge technology at your current job. So even if you're doing something and you want to stay in that area, there's probably a newer version available that you need to be learning before you make a jump. Yeah, I had a, uh, a director once say, and I absolutely loved it because um, being a government employee, there's a stigma about it that, you know, you're, you're way behind. And she was like, you know what? We, we may not be on the bleeding edge, but we are on the cutting edge of technology, you know? And then she was right. I mean, some of the stuff that I'm getting to do right now is really awesome. Now, you know, it's, it's not stuff like I'm getting to do things now that I learned about a year ago at music city tech. Like, um, I remember having a conversation with, uh, this is, this is a little bit of a name drop, but it was really cool to get to talk to him with Scott Hanselman. Yeah. Um, you know, I got invited to a lunch where, where he was at and, uh, somehow we ended up sitting beside each other and we got to talking about podcasting and stuff like that. And he was telling me about blazer and guess what? My architect asked me to start looking into about two weeks ago. Blazer. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, that is so cool because I, I learned about this like a year ago when I was, I was talking to him and he's like on the bleeding edge and now I'm getting to look into it. I'm like, I, you know, I get to do some really awesome stuff, but you know, what, what we're getting at here with this is you need to brush up on things. You need to be learning those new things. You should be trying to improve any gaps in your skills that you may have uh, especially if those skills are relevant. Like, for example, if I were to start looking for another job, one of the areas that I am, I don't have a lot of experience is MVC. And a lot of places still have older MVC apps, even if they've moved to newer stuff just to, within the .NET world. You know, that's, that's an area that I know I would have to bone up on to, to really start looking. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's got some skills gaps. Um, even if you've, you're you able to do full stack, you're probably not able to do full stack on every different variation. Like mm-hmm. I would have to, you know, brush back up on in hibernate stuff, for instance, if I was working with you. Yeah. Um, whereas if you were working with me, you would have to brush up on like entity framework and dapper and classic ADO, which we won't talk about too much. Um, <laughs> you know, everybody's got certain gaps. And so you need to figure out what gaps are going to apply, where you're going to go and like which things you don't have and start getting those. And it's, it's a really good idea also when you're doing this, um, especially if you aren't using certain tech at your current job is actually build up a set of sample code that you can take with you to an interview so that you can actually show the hiring manager, Hey, I didn't have this at my previous job, but I do know how to do it. Here's what I did. Um, I tried doing that uh, when I was trying to get out of out of .NET way back in the day and go to Ruby on Rails, and I didn't, you know, my code was not good enough for that. But I was actually able to show, hey, I can, you know, I can do all the Active Record stuff and all that, and that probably got me further than I would have been otherwise. I still didn't get that job, but it was it was very useful as far as that goes. That makes that makes perfect sense. I, I follow what you're saying there. Um... And just, you know, when I'm interviewing people, if they have a GitHub repo that they they put in their resume or in their application, I always go and look at it because I want to see their coding style. I want to see what they've done, even if it's even if it's not related to what we're doing. I want to see that they've done stuff. The other thing is, this is a great time to make uh, use of whatever training materials you have available as well as learning from people in your network. This is something that the podcast has afforded Will and I to do is one, expand our network, but also we're able to learn from the people in our network by saying, Hey, you want to come on our podcast and talk about what it is that you do well? Yeah. Um, It's real handy for that. (laughs) Honestly, a lot of the times, and 
I, I think this is part of why people like those kind of episodes is a lot of the times we bring people on to talk about stuff that we want to learn. Cause yeah. you know, our day job is not podcasting. Our day jobs are being developers. Well, Will's a, an architect, but you know, our day jobs are dealing with software and we want to get better at our day jobs through the podcast. You know, we, we've been talking about networking a lot. Uh, if you already have an established network, you really need to be reaching out to them, asking questions, telling them why you're asking. You know, if it's outside of your work environment, go out, like go to your meetups and be like, hey, you know, I like my job, but in a year or so, I'm probably going to be leaving and I, I want to learn the skills to get into this industry or to yeah. get out of this industry, you know, depending on which direction you're going. Yeah. Yeah, and the people that can teach you stuff also have the connections. This That's gets those true. people going. Um, you know, this really does a lot of stuff for you. It's not just about answering your questions. It gets the people in your network looking for opportunities for you, even if they're just doing it passively. And this can actually accelerate your finding of another job. You may go, hey, I want to do this in six months, but a really good opportunity pops up and you're in a better negotiating position because you're not actively looking to leave your current job and you're comfortable. So they a lot of times have to offer you more to get you to move. And they know that going in. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's also a really good time to work on your soft skills. We call them life skills here um, because there's more than just soft skills. We kind of focus on specific things. But um, when you're looking at this, don't just look for gaps in your technical skills. You know, fix your soft skills, fix your business skills. Fix those skills that aren't technical. Good soft skills go a long way towards making a good impression at a new job. I was talking with uh, with some people outside of technology. I was a friend of mine who does finances, and I was talking to him last night at church, and he he was commenting on how different I am from other software developers. He's like. You'll look me in the eyes like you're not sitting there staring at your shoes. He's like the most outgoing software developers I know will stare at my shoes. Yeah, (laughs) that's pretty common. And it's it's definitely a problem. And, you know, the other thing is like just being a straight shooter and just going, look, you know, here's what's actually going on. You know, not uh, completely trying to bamboozle people with tech. There's a lot of this stuff that software developers do really poorly. And if you do, you need to be fixing this now at your current job. So when you go into a new job, you make a good impression from the get-go. And you start at a higher place as far as everybody else's perception. And speaking of starting at a higher place, somebody's going to be taking over your position when you leave, probably. So you need to be doing some transition planning. And this is a really good time to start cross-training other employees if you've managed to become siloed in your current position. So if you're the only person that does database stuff, you need to start cross-training other people. Now, there's a good way to do this and a bad way to do this. The, the bad way to do it is go, hey, I'm, I'm leaving in six months. I'm going to teach you how to do this because that person will go yap to management. Don't do that. Instead, characterize it as making sure that you can actually go and take a vacation or that the company will still be running if you get hit by a bus and you're in the hospital for a week. Um, another good way to do this is to set it up as a code review type situation. So you you get a code review from your team members and now they're exposed to this code. And oh, by the way, you started a code review process at your company and you cross-trained your team and you acted as a trainer and you're training your replacement. Not that I haven't done this. I'm not looking to leave, but... I wanted code reviews, so I convinced I convinced my lead developer to let me facilitate them. And now, if I ever decide to leave, I can be like, yeah, I brought in code reviews. And it's perfectly valid. The next thing you should be doing is you need to start documenting everything that might be a problem when you leave so that you don't leave your coworkers in a lurch. It is terrible to leave and everybody else is screwed over. Because then they're mad at you. Right. I mean, you don't necessarily have to tell everyone that you're doing this, um, but you should start well in advance of leaving. You, You need to plan your exit strategy so that it does not hurt the people who are still there. 
I've had this problem um, in my few years working. Um, I guess what four years now, three four years now as a as a full time software developer. I have seen this where someone left and they were using a DLL that nobody knew where it came from. Yeah, and they can't find the code. They don't know what the the weird edge cases are because they're the only one using it and they wrap it in something else. Yep. Yeah. And that's a legitimate thing. And and so if you start preparing in advance, you have extra time to document all this stuff and you're not conspicuously writing documentation like, hey, I'm going to leave. You know, you always want to plan for this taking longer than you think it's going to take. So you don't tip your hand. You should also probably start cleaning up any code that you wrote that you know is kind of bad. Especially if you're allowed to refactor your code, you should start spending time cleaning up some of the spots you know are... Yeah, because people talk, right? The the next person that comes in may not know you, but they know who checked in the code last. And so that person will go, hey, that dude's code is awful because they're not going to remember the stuff that didn't break on them. They just know the stuff that broke because they had to go in there. Mm-hmm. And so well, they'll talk trash about you all the time. I know a fairly capable developer that I worked with at a previous gig and somebody I also worked with at a previous gig who was talking about this developer said that they're terrible because they worked with this guy's code. Now, granted, he had an unhealthy love of complexity on some things, but the guy that was complaining about it, you know, his code's not very good either. But, you know, he's, he's talking and going, hey, you know, his, his code's terrible and you know, it's broken all the time. And, you know, he just found some stuff that wasn't great. The guy left in a hurry. Uh, and now he's got somebody out there talking trash. I can see that. Um, I try to take it with a grain of salt when I run into code that was written by people. Because, like, I know some some people that have I've worked with that are not bad developers. But I've run into some of their early code. I'm like... All right, you know what? They they must have written this early, early on because like this is not the way that I've seen other stuff written. Yeah, or they wrote it while they were going through a divorce, or that could happened too. Yeah, you know they you know they had some bad curry that morning, and it's <laughs> late afternoon, and the plumbing's messed up, and you know they're just not having a real you know capital kind of day, and they write bad code. If you got stuff mm-hmm. like that sitting out there, you want to fix it before you leave just so that you leave a, an impression of quality. So next, work samples. If you plan on showing any code samples to potential employers, you really need to start thinking about that early. This doesn't mean that you start taking code from your employer. You should be building up some samples of work on your own time, using the kind of technology that you want to be using in your new job. Yeah. So if if you're Will and you're doing um, some older .NET framework stuff, but what you really want to be doing is Node, something completely different. That's remarkably accurate. Um, you really, really need to be doing Node in your free time to have some code samples because, yes, a lot of your, your skills will translate over. But they still want someone that's going to know the syntax and know the ins and outs, especially the higher up you get. They're going to want to, want people that know the ins and outs. So if Will walks in without code samples of Node, and I walk in and be like, I've been a Node developer for the past five years, Will's 15 more years of experience are going to mean nothing because he's not worked in Node. Especially not at a higher price point than you. Right. But, yeah, you got to always think about the competition. Yeah. But if he walks in and says, hey, yeah, I've been doing .NET for the last 20 years um, as my regular job, but here's four or five Node applications that I've built, he's going to be at a much better place than me coming in and saying, oh, hey, I've, built, I've been working in Node for five years. Because they're going right. to go, oh, he's seen all sorts of stuff that he can apply to this and he knows the, knows the material. So right. just doing that on your own is going to really help you. Yeah, and it's especially important to do it on your own because you shouldn't be showing code from your employer if it's not currently public. So, like, if you go on their public-facing website and you're showing JavaScript code from that site that's always served anyway, okay, fine. Or if they are doing open-source contributions, 
that's probably fine. But mm-hmm. you don't take the other stuff. It's really kind of dumb to have to even say this. Speaking of open source, contributing to things on GitHub is a great way to show your skill level. Yeah. Especially the kind of skills that employers are going to be looking for right after you start working there, because you're going to just be fixing things. You're not going to be writing new stuff for them. Now, overall, what this means is that you have to write code on your own instead of relying on the company that you work for's code. Uh, This is actually not that big a deal, especially if you're trying to sharpen your skills on the side because you're you're already building stuff. Uh, One of the things that I personally like to do is I I don't like just building arbitrary things. I don't like going through tutorials and just building Hello World. I like to actually build something functional when I'm learning things. At my current job, what I've done is I've taken a side project that I was working on. I was like, oh, all right, anytime I have to learn something new, I'm going to learn it on my side project that doesn't matter instead of creating a new project and you know, like a, a, a learning project kind of thing. I just, I put it into that side project. I get it working there and then I take that information over into the one that I need it for. Uh, what that's done is now my side project is built up so much that it could like, it's its own thing. It could run on its own. I, I've, haven't touched it in a while and I've forgotten that. I went back into it and I was like, yeah, I, I've got some time. I want to finish this up and it's already done. <laughs> um, the thing is, producing real working code that is of quality is going to impress a potential employer. And it's a great way to learn anything that you really need to learn. So the next thing you need to be doing is you need to be budgeting and getting your finances in order. And you should probably start reducing your expenses, you know, six to 12 months out from a job change. And there's a lot of reasons for this. Uh, The first is that a job change can cost a surprising amount of money. Uh, You'll have things like insurance that has to be handled properly. Uh, You have, you know, extra cost and time, money, attention, that kind of stuff. You may be moving, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff and you're going to want to start freeing up resources. Uh, That's, that's a really big thing. Yeah, um, yeah, you want to do this in case the new job is terrible and you decide to leave it early on. This can also be handy if there are some surprise expenses involved with getting the new job. You know, you need certifications. There's going to be travel and you have to update your passport. You've been used to working at home and now you have to go into an office one or two days a week and you have to do a lot of, uh, you have to dress up for it. You got to wear pants. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Or even, hey, you know, it frees up some time. So you get to the gym and you've lost some weight and you got to buy new clothes. That could happen too. Yeah. It can be for perfectly good reasons. You also need the extra money in case you're fired when you turn in your notice. Yeah. There's companies out there that have decided that if somebody turns their notice in, they can't trust them. And so they'll let you go immediately. Now, they may or may not give you severance, but... It may also not be enough to cover you until you get paid your first paycheck from the new job. Like Mm -hmm. if you said, okay, I'm starting in two weeks. Well, that means I'm getting paid in at least four weeks. But if you get fired right now and given a week of severance, you're down a week because you've got a week in there that you're not getting paid for and you're not working. And so you got to watch that one. Two things on that. One, switching from staying at the same job, but switching from contract to permanent you go from getting you know from hourly getting paid every week to salaried getting paid twice a month and you have to wait a whole month that was i at least had some some warning so i saved up for it the the other thing uh before i got into development uh back when i was in grad school for psych i worked at a company i got promoted to a a level that was equivalent to management uh, but it wasn't managing. And then the company got bought out and they transitioned me over to management because I was the lower guy and they needed someone over in management. And I hated it. I hated dealing with like, we had to provide 24 hour service and having people there. And if someone didn't show up, I had to get up and go to it. And I was trying to go through grad school and, oh, it was a pain. Uh, after a couple of weeks of that, I just, I'm like, you know what? I turned in my two week notice and I turned in my notice. I went to class that's when I, I got the job at the psychiatric hospital that I absolutely loved and stayed at for years. But uh, 
it it was it was funny because I like I had some savings, but I had no backup plan. I remember going to class and telling my friends, I'm like, yeah, I just quit my job. And they're like, what? That's not you. You you don't have another you don't have another thing lined up. I'm like, no. I, I just it's that bad that I have to get out of there. I'll find something. I'll live off savings for for uh, weeks or months until I do. That happened the very next day. I got called in and they just let me go. Like I didn't get those two weeks that I gave them. Yeah, and of course that also makes an argument too. You know, like if if a company lets you go like that, or if you see somebody else get let mm-hmm. go because they turned in their notice, don't give them notice. Just go. Um, you know, they're encouraging that behavior by their behavior. You need to also smooth out your cash flow issues during the transition period. You don't want to be anywhere close to the edge when changing jobs. So if your car breaks down after your last paycheck at your current job and you got two or three weeks before your next one, that's not a good situation to be in. You also need to be careful about certain times of year where surprise expenses like Christmas, tax season, um, just about once a month for me because my sisters have so many kids that there's birthdays all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there is that. No joke. Uh, But, uh, you know, I have a budget and so I'm going to go into a little personal stuff here on budgeting, but I have my, my normal budget. That is, you know, I've got my Netflix, I got my Hulu, uh, I got my Audible, I got like all the stuff that I that I do. But then I have my things are tight budget. So now we're going to talk about when you should start applying for jobs. You need to start applying well in advance of when you plan to leave. The job process, the interview process, it takes quite a while, and if you're content where you are and you're looking to find a better job, a happier job, then you want to take your time looking and you want to hold out for that really good job. You don't want to take the first job you're offered unless it's just your dream job pops up. Right. And the thing is, is if you've been comfortable for a while, you may need to kind of knock the rust off as far as interviewing and having your resume Uh, in a format that people want now. I mean, I've known people that have stayed at the same job for a decade or Mm -hmm. more. And then when they get out there, like interviewing is completely different than it used to be. Like, I mean, if you were interviewing in the late nineties, they ask you like a set of questions about the target framework or whatever. They didn't put you in front of a computer to do stuff. You know, like if you haven't interviewed since then, or if you haven't interviewed since the mid two thousands for that matter, a lot of stuff has changed and you're going to have to learn that the hard way. Yeah, this is a really good time to, you know, find a meetup group that works with developers who are moving up in their careers and helps them practice their interviews and stuff if like that. If only that was a thing. You know, I mean, if you're in Nashville, I think they got one um, developer launchpad. Is that what yeah. it's called? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So you're not going to be good at interviewing initially if you've been where you are for a while. And so you need to pad your schedule of when you're going to quit based on that. So if you think you're going to leave in six months, but you haven't interviewed in a while, you might need to add a month or two, you know, to, of lead time essentially to get your bad interviews out of the way. This may also be a good time to inform a trusted recruiter or two about places you'd like to work. This is, of course, if you plan on using recruiters, which Will and I are at some point going to publish a book on. Yeah. Recruiters are always looking for people who want a new job. And it helps them a lot if you already know where or what industry you want to work in because they only have to convince the other side to hire you. They don't have to convince you to go there. Yeah. So it's easier for them. Yeah. These recruiters may also have insights about the environment at potential employers. I know I remember when I was looking, I worked with several different recruiters and there was a couple of places that I interviewed where one recruiter get me there and I talked to another one, um, specifically some that were friends of mine or that I had worked with in the past in other sales positions where we'd been on the same team or something. I'm like, oh yeah, I interviewed at this place and like, oh, well, I I had a developer that, that went there and this is what they had to say about it. And like, you learn things that way. You know, it, it's often good advice and it can help inform you what skills you need to improve or 
what you need to obtain. I mean, I've told you guys about how I ended up going into Angular. (laughs) Yeah. Because you found out that that was needed. So finally, we're going to talk about marketing. If you aren't blogging or putting content out on a regular basis and plan to do so, start now. Yeah. It takes a long time to get discovered. If you're writing content, if you're podcasting, all that stuff, like there's a tremendous amount of lead time. But the other thing that this stuff does is it establishes credibility for a new job before you walk in the door, Uh, especially if you write good content and have a link to it on your resume. People see that and they know, hey, this dude's got a blog and it's got some pretty good stuff on it. You know, that establishes you as an authority before they really talk to you. It also means that you're coming in having that um, and they can't object to it because they hired you with it already. Yeah. And they know they knew, you know, going in. Uh, The other thing that that happens is a lot of companies, if you start doing some kind of side hustle, they get real nervous and you don't want to bring that in necessarily, especially if you just started. You should target your content towards the kind of work that you want to do not what you're doing now. If you're learning something, tell the story of learning it. Um, that's sort of what we did with this podcast for me. What this does is it protects you from your current employer finding something that they don't like in there. It also showcases relevant skills instead of the skills that you know may not be as relevant. This is also a good time to do a little cleanup on your social media profile. And we've had several episodes about this. If you've been comfortable at your current job for quite a while, uh, you've probably gotten complacent in regards to what kind of things that you've written on your social media. Uh, Be really careful about anything inflammatory that is publicly available. Um, You might also consider using some social media to actually place posts that are helpful for your job search. Now, guys, leaving a job is tough, especially if the job isn't particularly bad. When you're comfortable, it's easy to rationalize staying in a place. However, sometimes you realize that your current job isn't a good choice over the long term. The reasons for this are really personal, but you'll know when it's a good time to consider making your way out the door. When you do, you need to do it in a smart way so that the transition works both to your advantage and it leaves the organization in a better shape than when you found it. Well, that pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just want to point out, you know, we are talking about how to leave a job in six to 12 months. And there's a reason we're doing that. A lot of people decide to leave a job and they leave as quickly as they can. And you're giving up a lot of power when you do that. Basically with anything, the longer your planning window is, the easier and cheaper things tend to work out and the more power you have in the situation because you have more options. And this applies to almost anything. It applies to code. It applies to, you know, seeking jobs. It applies to developing your skills. If you can plan a year or two years or 10 years out in the future, you are an order of magnitude better off than somebody that can only plan a month. And that's part of the reason why I advocate having the kind of savings that I advocate having, you know, having six months worth of living expenses saved up is because it makes it easier to plan stuff. And if something goes sideways, your plans aren't all disrupted, at least not for several months. Um, So this is just kind of a developer power move that you need to be getting in order. You need to have the ability to plan further in the future, and you need to be aiming all of your goals towards that instead of doing a month over month because you you'll get the end of your career and you won't have gotten anywhere if you don't do this so that's all i got stand by for titanfall if you have a question or comment please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com our theme music is an excerpt from stand by for titanfall by pure bells available on soundcloud and licensed through creative commons the intro music for iot's is hillbilly hip-hop by jason belcher For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. 
Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.